This morning we are continuing our series through Advent uh, in the book of Ruth. This morning we are in Ruth chapter 3. Uh, you can turn in your Bibles to, to Ruth. Um, if you're having trouble finding it, it's tucked right in between Judges and 1 Samuel. Um, before, we, uh, before we begin this time, let's pray uh, for God's blessing upon His Word. Lord, how wonderful it is that you speak to us, that you have done so long ago and that you continue to speak through the same way here, through your word that you've given us, through the spirit who works through this word too. This, this, uh, this story is not just an ancient story, it is one that is for us too and that you bring us into. So show us how we ourselves are woven into the story just as much as the characters here. And as you have woven all of your people into the story throughout the generations, work mightily in us this morning to see you clearly and your redemption, particularly your redemption and your character that is seen most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ, you having come in the flesh for us. pray this in his name, and we beg that your spirit would be doing his work in us this morning, including the man who's preaching here. Amen. All right, we're this morning, the book of Ruth, chapter 3. This is God's word. Pay careful attention to it. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she, being Ruth, replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. 
And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Amen. The book of Ruth is often portrayed as a love story. Uh, We see the the budding relationship and the interplay between Ruth and Boaz. It is the thing of many stories of romance, the thing that uh, many Hallmark movies have been based off of. The widow coming into town and the reputable man of worthy character and both of them getting together here in a chance meeting. Was it love at first sight between them? Was there attraction immediately between the two? See, according to modern stories, there is an inevitability that the two of them would end up together. But, think of it in that way, of of a love story like that. That's not actually exactly the case. Let's look at it through Old Testament eyes. Now, certainly there is a distinct inevitability of them coming together here. There's foreshadowing when when we first learn about Boaz earlier in the story. Boaz, it's mentioned that he's a relative of Elimelech. Uh, who was Naomi's husband, uh, that he's a worthy man. But the foreshadowing, though, is to draw us down to his status as a potential redeemer of his people here, a, a potential redeemer to Naomi and, by extension, Ruth, than a romantic interest. And the inevitability lies in God's providence as we meet these two characters. And as the two of them meet, understanding then how the Lord is going to to care for Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. So the book of Ruth isn't a love story, at least in terms of romance. It's not a romantic love story. It's a covenant love story. It's a story of covenant love, a story of covenant faithfulness between Ruth and Naomi. And yes, we also see then later today... Ruth, or sorry, Boaz to Ruth. It's a love story, or it's a love not from attraction, but it's a love from covenant faithfulness. We've talked about that for, uh, uh, as we've gone through Ruth over the last couple of weeks. Covenant faithfulness, what is it? It's a loyalty. It's a loving commitment. It is a showing honor. It's what happens when people are bound together. And the, primarily, the primary covenantal love and the covenantal faithfulness in the book of Ruth isn't even from, from Boaz and Ruth. The central love here that we have is from the Lord. It's a, his steadfast faithfulness. It's his covenant love to Naomi and Ruth, despite what seems his bitter providence towards them in a particular moment. But then his, also his continued faithfulness to Ruth, though, as he taught her about his character through that providence, and then his providence also of bringing Boaz into their lives and what that meant for them. Central to the story, to the story here, isn't human love. It is the covenant love of the Lord God. Now, we've been tracing the arcs of the four characters here, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, and then all woven together here by the Lord God and his providence. And it weaves all of this together into this, a story that turns into a beautiful tapestry. So we were talking about last week a little bit. Now in times long past, back in ancient days, stories were often told through tapestries. 
Uh, they had these long tapestries that would, that would go down halls of palaces and castles. And you had characters who were woven into the very fabric of these long hanging tapestries. And you would walk down the halls and literally they would be retelling the events and the stories of their histories, that which formed them. The walls were telling the stories and the glories of those people who had gone before them. They were walked down the halls and here there were, were the histories which formed them, all woven together. God's doing something similar in the book of Ruth. He's weaving together a tapestry telling their history of them all here brought together by the Lord. A story of redemption and beauty that formed them as a people because it was about God's grace to them. Because it was about his covenant faithfulness to them in his providence towards them and what it also revealed about him. Naomi and Ruth had experienced some bitter moments in in the story of Ruth here. They were devastated by loss. They were left with nothing but a murky future. Yet we've seen, though, that the Lord, that he's been weaving their story together in his providence and that that was only one moment. The story isn't over here. The story isn't defined by one scene, but the overall trajectory. It's not just about one moment, one section of that tapestry, right? but it's actually about the whole story arc. It's how you get to the end. It's the ending itself. And our passage today continues this arc of the story and the characters here and at the moment of deepest tension in the story. And so the first that we want to look at then is if this is a story about the Lord God and his providence is we want to look in him. The Lord as he continues to perform his providential work in them and for them. We're reminded again, Naomi and Ruth before were left destitute. They had the loss of, for both of them of their husbands And for Naomi, the loss of Ruth's husband was also the loss of her son. They had a sense of being foreigners in a a different land. Naomi being a foreigner all alone then in Moab where she went to. And then coming back to Israel and now Ruth being a foreigner in the land of Israel. Their lives then, you can imagine the disappointments. And then there's the fears that they had, the fears of today and the fears for the future. But see, all of this here was the Lord's providence. Naomi never once doubted that. Though she had deep questions why God was working in, the, in these ways. But he was working in ways that they couldn't have scripted. And they probably wouldn't have scripted either in that particular moment. But we need to see that without that, without God's providence, they would have been worse off. And that's hard to fathom. That's hard to fathom, especially in the moment. And where would Naomi have been, apart from God at work there? Well, she would have remained focused on herself, continuing in a life of rebellion, continuing on with a dissociation of her actions with her profession of faith. And Ruth, well, she wouldn't have even come to the Lord as her refuge. She would have still been an outsider. She would have just been any other Moabite woman living in in Moab. But through his providential work, though, the two of them actually do have a future. There's something better for them than they had before because of the Lord's work. Do you think they would have traded that? That's a good question. Would you? It depends all on how we, we view and look at God's good work. 
and a consciousness of his work as well. Recognizing the events that he sovereignly brought into your life, whether it be times of joy, whether it be times of sorrow or confusion, but him using those to bring you to where you are in a certain place or a depth of knowledge of God and of faith. We think about ourselves, is it worth it? Has it been worth it maybe potentially for, the, for the, those times of difficulty that we've gone through? But when we say not, is it worth it, I'm not talking about means of self-betterment, that we use them for me to become a better person, but rather, was it worth it by knowing God more deeply, by understanding him better, by even just a little bit more being more incrementally rooted in him? But of course, this also requires us to ask the bigger question, what is it that I love and value most? What is it that's most precious to me? Because if it's comfort, if it's my own personal desires, whatever it is, then trading those in will likely be impossible. But if what's most precious to me is knowing God and having him, then for as difficult as that may be to trade in those desires of self, it can still nod in agreement, even reluctantly, though, over time. This is more than just theological theory, though. Some of you are, have gone through, and some of you are now going through some deeply considerable and sorrow, sorrowful difficulties. Yet if God is who he says he is, and if his providence is not only for his, his glory, but for our good, our good being what he says for our sanctification, for our growing in him, for truly being made in the image of Christ and coming to be satisfied in God more, then has he met you in those difficulties? Have you come to God, have you come to know God anew? And that may not be instantaneous. Perhaps you've buried them deep and you need to work through them. Have you grieved those times? Have you truly grieved them with a grief to bring before the Lord and to receive his comfort? Friends, the Lord God is full of steadfast love. He's full of covenant love for his people. He's working all things truly for our good as he sees it, for making us like him. See, God changes us through these things. He changes us by as we experience and know his covenantal faithfulness. And that's why we see second here with Naomi. Naomi is actually being slowly here being changed by the covenantal faithfulness of God. How do we know? Well, we've seen her in a slow progression from bitterness to blessing. At first, when we met her in chapter 1, her misguided belief here was that God was against her and that God was relationally distant from her because of her loss. But as we saw last week now, she begins to have a renewed understanding of him as he provided for her. She begins to see that Ruth's faithfulness to her in the time of difficulty was God's providence. That Boaz's care and provision for the two of them was God's providence. And it ended up there with, she, has a, she had a new confession of faith. We saw in chapter 2, verse 20, the, the, the woman who at one time said, the hand of the Lord is upon me, now says the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And now we see in, in verse 1 of chapter 3, Naomi previously overwhelmed with her bitterness and putting herself at the center, is now looking out for Ruth. My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well 
for you? She's now looking out for Ruth. Now, bitterness is what draws us inwards. We focus on ourselves at the expense of others, what they have, what they've experienced, and why we shouldn't have the same thing, and we grow bitter from that. People overcome with bitterness think little of others, other people and their lives. Everything, rather, is filtered through the view of their own suffering, or it's all the fault of someone else. As opposed, though, instead to the filter of the Lord's steadfast covenant love. That changes how you see God. It changes how you see the world. It changes how you see even yourself. Because then now in all situations, we can begin to look through that filter. We ask, how might he be at work in me and in us? How will God meet me in this time if he is who he says he is? How is he doing his work of making me like Jesus? How is he coming to, to me in this time and revealing to himself as the most valuable thing? And that I am who I am because of Christ. See, that's why we can be patient when things go against us. Naomi becomes less focused on herself and she begins to turn towards Ruth. I mean, for once now, she looks out, out for another, for the good of another, of Ruth and the provision of a husband for her. Naomi has received much faithfulness. And now, covenant faithfulness that she's showing from Naomi to Ruth. All right, for her to be, for Ruth to be rooted in the land, for Ruth to be um, among the people of the Lord whom she's come into covenant relationship with. It's a way that Naomi has for seeking the future of Ruth and her, and her well-being. And so he gives her these instructions that we see in verse 3. Go down, meet Boaz, wash yourself, anoint dress. It's a marital proposition that she's saying to Boaz. Go put aside the signs of your grieving as a widow. That's what it was, washing and anointing yourself and dress. And go down and meet Boaz in the evening. Go, go do so secretive because this wasn't ordinarily done. It, a foreign woman asking a man for marriage wasn't typically done. But it is asking for marriage because in Ruth's words in verse 9, she says, spread your wings over your servants. That was an idiom for betrothal. For marriage. Now, some have said that these instructions here were uh, were uh, were very charged sexually, and they leading to leading to, to a compromising encounter. And there, now, no doubt, there is some sort of suggestive language with these double use of some words here of uncovering feet, of lying down at the feet. But there is no reason for us to actually believe that this was a compromise, unless you're wanting to read it as such. Ruth didn't dress suggestively. She dressed practically. The cloak that she put on herself as she went down to meet Boaz, there was a common outside cloak. It was your winter coat that you would, that you would wear. It was practical. Both Boaz and Ruth are also models of, of faithfulness to Israel. And so them having this compromising situation would nullify their example. And also, as we've seen here, romantic attraction isn't the focus. What's the focus here? It's the worthiness of their character. But nonetheless, still, this was a risky proposition. It was very forthcoming from, from Ruth to Boaz. I mean, think of all the ways that this could have gone wrong. This could have been seen as scandalous if, if others would have, have noticed. That would have meant a loss of reputation, not only for Ruth that she had built up in that short time, but a loss of reputation for Boaz. 
Ruth risked misunderstanding uh, from, from Boaz, rejection from Boaz. He could have said no. He could have said, what are you doing? What's going on here? Not to mention that this was all dangerous going out at night like this. What if she were assaulted? But it's an act of faith that she's doing here. That she's, it's risky faith. Both Naomi and Ruth were acting in faith. Naomi, for once, isn't sitting passive any longer. And then Ruth lays it all out on the line. And it stems from this reason. Receiving and understanding covenant faithfulness. Naomi was changed. And she came to a point of blessing God. And her faith grew by knowing the, stead- by, grew by knowing the steadfast covenant faithfulness of the Lord. And how else then to know his faithfulness? Or sorry, knowing, knowing his faithfulness then is the only way that our unbelief can be overcome. And how else then than his faithfulness mediated to us as revealed to, to, by, by Jesus? If we want to see the perfect, steadfast covenant love of God for us, if we want to be changed by that, if we want to see that, we need to look at Jesus. But we also have Ruth here. Ruth is the other part, person here. Ruth is seeking the good for Naomi. It's consistent with her character. Ruth continues to show this faithfulness to Naomi. All right, she does all that Naomi said. And she does one more thing. In verse 9, she invokes the idea of a kinsman redeemer. Now, what is this idea of redeemer? You can read about it in, in Leviticus 25. But the promised land was allotted to Israel, and it was supposed to be then, by God, an inheritance to remain with the families. It was a place set, given to them by God. And God knows the human tendency that we have towards greed, especially greed at the expense of others. And he cares about the widow, he cares about orphans, he cares about impoverished people. And he didn't want them to languish in the land then, for, or for their land to be lost because of that, every 50 years it was reset at Jubilee. All the, all the, the land was restored back, back to one another in your inheritance. But he also, in between, gave them redeemers as another provision. So that if someone had lost their property, if someone had lost their inheritance due to poverty, and they had to sell it off, then perhaps they thought, well, maybe I can buy it back to, someday. But what if you couldn't? What if you couldn't buy back your land or your family's inheritance? Well, then you had a redeemer. God provided for a redeemer, a close family member who could come in and who would intervene and redeem the property. They would buy it back at their own personal expense and then give it to the people. It was, it was someone who was related in the family. It wasn't, they weren't obligated to do so. It was a privilege to do so. And the cost was absorbed by them personally. Ruth comes to, to Boaz in the night for a marriage proposition, and she also asks him to be a redeemer. He's a relative of Elimelech. He's related to Naomi, then, by marriage. Now, asking for him to be a redeemer, not for Ruth. Ruth didn't have property. She was asking for Naomi. Evidently, Naomi and, and Elimelech, at some point, they had land that was lost. Maybe it was when they left Israel and went to Moab for those years. And then, and then they had gone and maybe even word that Elimelech had died. And somehow that, that land just got carried on to someone else. But Ruth is looking out for, for Naomi. He wanted, or she wanted her future restored. 
and an inheritance to be given to her. Now, Naomi didn't have any heirs, and so also Ruth, then, by marrying Boaz, would hope to give her, and Elimelech also, a child, an heir to perpetuate the inheritance, so that a name would be continued forward. And again, once more, look at how the, wo- how the Lord wove all these stories together. Right? Boaz for Ruth and Naomi. We have this further example of covenant faithfulness. Naomi acting in faithfulness to Ruth. Ruth turning it right around here and doing the same for Naomi. And she put her own desires to the side in favor of her mother-in-law. Boaz saw this. Boaz knows that she could have married pretty much any eligible bachelor that she wanted in Bethlehem. Right? She, Boaz was likely considerably older than, than, uh, than, than Ruth if he was a, a kinsman of Elimelech. He was at least Naomi's age. She could have married anyone younger. She could have married anyone richer. After all, she was known as a worthy woman of great character in the town. But she puts aside all of her deeper desires or all of her personal desires of who she could have married based upon any other criteria out of a deeper desire. And that was for a love for Naomi. That's why Boaz says in verse 10, you've made this last kindness Kindness to Naomi, even greater than the first of when you first stuck with her. So the book of Ruth gives us examples after examples of covenant faithfulness. The book of Ruth, the story shows us what it looks like. It looks like Ruth sticking with Naomi. It looks like Boaz's kindness to Ruth in the fields by providing for it. It looks like Naomi then learning to care for Ruth over herself. And it looks like Ruth then continuing to care in turn for Naomi over her own desires. It's an example of the covenant faithfulness that is to characterize God's people, that it is a reciprocal passing back and forth, acting in covenant love and faithfulness to one another. This is the love story of Ruth. It's how we act with one another. But it's also the love story of God to us. It's an example, Ruth and Boaz and even Naomi now at the end, it's an example of God's covenant faithfulness to us. Now we want to look at Boaz. Boaz is the means of the Lord's covenant faithfulness here. It's a really unique situation that the Lord's means for both of them, both Naomi and Ruth, as a, for a, a, a redeemer and a husband are tied together. We've read of Boaz's character. We, there's no question of what he's going to do, but we know. That, but it would also, though, come at a cost to Boaz. And a cost that would be more than just words, because he knew the personal cost that he would absorb to pay for the property. That's consistent with his character. He saw it as a privilege. He saw it as a privilege to care for the needy. He saw it as an opportunity to do what was right, to show covenant faithfulness and to honor them. Friends, that's what happens when someone loves God. When someone loves God and knows the love of God, then they love neighbor even at their own expense because that's what the love of God is. And Boaz was the Lord's providential means of securing a future for both Naomi and for Ruth. Tied up together in the one man, we have redemption and hope. All right, together, one man full of deep covenant faithfulness. 
And we see a picture of how God would continue to weave his tapestry of redemptive history, not just in the book of Ruth, but also throughout the rest of the Bible. God's story of deep redemption through, through, through the Jesus being the greater Boaz. Boaz shows us how Jesus is a redeemer. What does that mean, though, when we talk about Jesus being a redeemer, right? Well, it means purchasing. It means purchasing. So maybe, kids, when you think about redeemer, when you think about the word for re- redeemer or redemption, it's kind of like this. You all know what this is, don't you? It's a can, right? Cans and bottles. You, you know what you do with these? You, you ever seen that there's this, it says redemption value on it? I forget what it is, 15 cents, 10 cents, whatever, all right? You know what you do with these, though? You collect the cans, don't you? What do you do with the cans then? You put them in the bag and you go down to the redemption center, right? And you give them back, you feed it into that little machine, you give it to the people, and they give you money in return, right? It's like the best deal ever. You just give them cans and they give you money, right? It's a great first job. But the thing is here, there's a value that, that, that's ascribed with this can here or with the bottle, whatever it is. All right, and so, so they are buying back. They are redeeming the can from you, all right? And then they're actually going to put it into a new use then, right? They're buying it back to cost them at themselves. And then that new can or the bottle has a new future. Did you know that? They recycle it. They don't just refill it, all right? They recycle it, all right? And then they, they go and they, they, they put it to use again, all right? That's what redemption is like. Now, I'm not saying that you're a can that, that Jesus, you know, pays to, to get you and return you. That's not it. But we're talking about a redeemer, though. What does it mean that Jesus is a redeemer? Well, it means that he purchases us. He purchases us at his own cost to make us his and to give us a new future also. To, get, to make us something better than we were before. And so we think about being a redeemer then. How is, how is Jesus a redeemer when we think of it through the, the, the lens of the book of Ruth? Well, like Boaz, he, gave a, he gives future to people who have lost everything, who have lost their future. And we're not talking about land. We're not talking about property. We're not talking about inheritance, at least not in a temporal sense. Friends, we've lost so many things, haven't we? And at the very beginning of the fall, we've lost innocence. We've lost righteousness. We've lost on our own a right to communion with God and even a place that gives us the right to communion with God. But friends, Jesus comes though here to redeem us and to to redeem an inheritance, a place for us then. He He takes us, he redeems us at great cost of his own self of his own life, of the blood of his cross as payment for us to pull us out from the grips of evil, from sin, from our own personal desires, everything. He makes us new. He gives us a future. But he also, just like Boaz, redeemed a land that was lost to Naomi. He gives us a promise to put us not just in, 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 a, in a place that we know it here, to actually redeem the world to bring redemption and have cause everything sad that is untrue, to, or take everything sad and make it come untrue in this place and to renew it and to put us in it. 
Jesus has redeemed us in this way. Jesus, as our Redeemer, comes in our times of destitution, in our times of need, just like he did to Naomi and Ruth. All of it at his own expense. Jesus gives a future to people who seemingly don't have a future. He gives a future that is grounded in his resurrection, a future that is irrevocable. He gives a redemption, a perfect redemption amid even your disease and your mortality. He gives a redemption when your addictions or your desires overwhelm you. Jesus is raised. That is the, the grounds, that is, that is the grounds of our eternal inheritance. Right now to have. Now there's a complication though in this whole story though that needs to be resolved. In verse 12, we find out that there's a nearer redeemer than Boaz. Boaz actually has, there's someone else who's in closer relationship to Elimelech, Naomi's husband, than than he is. And so that other one gets the first opportunity. So what's going to happen here? We're left with this tension. Is the the nearer kinsman, is he going to do it? Is all of this going to work out? Because this is is, now is the moment of deepest tension in the story. Is everything going to work out as they planned? Now, Ruth and Naomi are left to wait. They've got a waiting time here at the end. What do they have to hold on to? What, do you have, what would you hold on to in a, in, your, in, in a situation like that? Well, you'd hold on to Boaz's word. You know by his character that he would try his best. You know by Boaz's character that you've seen by his covenant faithfulness. You know, by Boaz's gift, he, he sends Na- Na- or Ruth home with, with six measures of grain, given enough there in the meantime. Still pl- plenty of food for them. But as, you know, as we know also, none of this is reliant on Boaz alone. It's the Lord continuing to work in his providence. And could they trust not just Boaz, but how could they trust the Lord? How could they have faith in God in his care as they waited? The same ways as they did with Boaz. His word, the word of the Lord that he gave to them, to his people over generations. His character demonstrated to them over and over by his great acts of steadfast covenant love. His provision for them at that point. Advent is a time of reflection as we too wait upon the Lord and we wait upon his covenant faithfulness. Our waiting for Christ and his second advent for the final redemption that's promised to us in his faithfulness. And here we are waiting in darkness, we're waiting in sorrow, in pain and suffering. And what do we have to hold on to as we wait for his return? We're given the same things that, in the same ways that the Lord gave to Ruth and Naomi. But instead now they're refracted through Jesus. We have God's word, we have the word of Christ and his promises that he gives us. We have God's character, the steadfast covenant love and faithfulness of Christ who gave himself, who was given by the Father to redeem us. Friends, we're given God's gift. We're given the gift of Christ here. We're given the sacraments, the signs of his promise to us, of his covenant love. And these are the means to strengthen our belief as we wait. These are the means that he gives us to build our faith. The table that we're going to come to shortly, the table is his promise. The table is the word made of Christ made visible to us that he will indeed come again. That's a promise that he is sealed by his blood. And when we take that, we can know that our waiting isn't in vain. 
Not because of the strength of your faith, but because of the strength of his promise. And that the story of redemption is already written. The story of redemption ends in resurrection. Let's pray. Lord God, we live our lives in this deep tension. The tension of the already but not yet. Already Jesus Christ has come. Already we are redeemed, but yet we are still waiting for a final redemption. We're waiting for him to return. And we sit in that, God, and we wonder sometimes in your providence, what are you doing? Why don't you just come now, make everything, renew everything? But give us a trust, though. Deepen our trust in you and your promises. Continue to root us in Christ, who is the amen, the yes to all of the promises that you give to us. Let us see him for who he is. Let us love him more and let us remember that your gift of Jesus to us is a sign that even in our most desperate times that you are still providentially caring for us and give us an appetite for him and your goodness. Prepare our hearts as we come to the supper in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.